everybody. It's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week, I have a cool guest, and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learn a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to a very special episode of the Generators Podcast with Trent McClellan. This is episode 5, I do believe. So uh, for those of you returning, welcome back. For those of you new, where you been? What have you been doing? Out there, living your life out in the world, too busy to join us here on the Generators Podcast. Well, maybe, maybe you'll never be able to be without the Generators Podcast as a result. Of today, perhaps. Who knows? Could let change your life. You don't know. You can't predict the future. None of us can. That's something we can't do. Um, I hope you had a great weekend. That you were out there doing what you're doing. That the sun was shining on your skin. Huh? Unless you didn't want it to. And then, of course, uh, get away from that sun. Get indoors. I just returned from uh, two shows. One in Edmonton, Alberta on Friday night. And one in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Last night, Saturday night, so I'm recording this on Sunday here at Trent's Comedy World Headquarters in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, had a great time on the weekend uh, at both shows. I really, I, I really re-remembered, if that's a word, how much fun I have doing stand-up. Because as a comedian, quite often you can get tied up in the business side of things, which I think I have maybe for the last month or so with just other stuff. And then to get back on stage over the last two weekends, uh, the weekend before I was in uh, Goose Bay in Labrador City, and I just, I don't know how to explain it, but I just love performing stand-up comedy. Like, it's as much fun now, after 13, 14 years, as it was when I first did it. It's just a real adrenaline rush, and I remember, I heard years ago, Jay Leno said that he knew Stand-up comedy was what he was supposed to do because it was the only thing that when he was doing it, he didn't think of anything else. And that's the way I am when I'm doing stand-up. Like, I am so in the moment. Uh, I'm just present in terms of what I'm talking about. Um, every little detail, every little thing, I'm like right there. Like, I, I, it's, it's really hard to explain, but there's a very sense of being... That whole saying of be here now, and I very much feel like I do that when I'm on stage. And when I'm at my best, that's where I am totally focused and dialed in. And I felt like I was that way for all four shows. I felt very in the moment. And in, you know, Labrador and Goose Bay, because I didn't have an opening act, I literally, I was doing 90 minutes, like, each night. It was, uh... You know, it's it's a long time to be on stage, and I hadn't done 90 minutes on stage in probably two or three years. So I was a little bit nervous about, you know, can I recall all this material and how will it flow together? So it's not like I got a chance to run 90 minutes before I got to go there. So, you know, you're going back through your catalog a little bit. You're trying a ton of new stuff. So I was really kind of pleased that I could kind of pull all that together and... Uh, and um, and I think give some really good shows, if I do say so myself, for those two. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Got to catch up with uh, an old buddy as well in, uh, in Labrador City, which was really, really cool. Um, buddy of mine, um, Brad Humber, I hadn't seen in years. Really cool to see him and his wife, Tracy. It was awesome. They made the way in to uh, check out the show. And One of the really cool things about being a comedian, you get to travel around to all these cities, and then uh, people come out, and there are folks who... I've never missed a show when I'm in their town. They've been to every single one. And uh, 
that does not go unnoticed. There are folks who, you know, say, oh, we'd love to come, or um, when are you coming? And then when you go there, they don't show up. <laughs> There's tons of those people. But there are certain people out there who they, they make an effort every single time to come, and they bring a crew, and, or they tell their friends or family, and um, I can't tell you how much that means to me, man. That's, um, you know, you to get that kind of support is incredible, so uh, extremely grateful to everyone who does that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, had a great time on the shows. Uh, so I was doing those shows kind of solo and, and enjoy them. It's a lot of travel. It's a long travel thing to get to Labrador, but I'm so well worth it. People are so kind and generous, and uh, the response was great from everyone. And then, as I said, this past weekend was in um, Edmonton and Grand Prairie, and again, folks came out who I hadn't seen in forever. You know, uh, Mark Hayes, a guy in Edmonton that I played basketball with back in junior high school and high school, um, came with the show, and Jeff Clark, two, two good friends of mine, you know, over the years. So, um, you know, they came out, and then... I get to uh, to Grand Prairie, and my former former principal from high school, who also coached our basketball team, Mr. Ed Buckle, was at the show. So, a shout out to Mr. Ed Buckle, who was a great teacher and coach, and uh, he's doing some real estate stuff up in Grand Prairie right now. So he came with his wife, and like it was just just so crazy, man. Who comes out of the woodworks to check out these shows? And uh, you know, when you think about, it, you probably haven't seen someone in twenty years, and they. You know, just they appear one day before your eyes, and you know, last time they saw you, you were a kid in high school, probably fighting acne and uh, trying to figure out which right guard to wear under your armpits, and then suddenly uh, here you are, a comedian slinging jokes about uh, whatever. You know, it's a, it's a surreal experience to to come full circle like that. So uh, that was just so cool. But it is one of the greatest things about this job is that you. You get to see people you haven't seen in such a long time. They actually come out to the shows, and sometimes they don't tell you. They just, you know, you're out in a crowd meeting people afterwards, and they just happen to appear. It's, it's mind blowing. Um, but also, you kind of hear stories. That, you know, a lot of people will tell me about how they kind of been following me from a distance from the last bunch of years of my career, and uh, um, they're saying stuff like how proud they are of you and stuff. And uh, you know, you just don't know how your life and what you're doing is have an effect on other people or how much they're engaged in it and uh, sometimes you do you know through social media and things but quite often people are a little bit more quiet and behind the scenes and and they're doing that and it seems like I have a a ton of support that I didn't even really know that I had which is super it just gives you the you know just keeps you motivated to keep going and doing what you're doing and so um, it was really really uh, it was an awesome feeling man to, to have that kind of support I mean uh, out there so so yeah, and it was great too on this weekend because I got to um, to go with my uh, my manager Jake Hirsch to to the the two shows in Edmonton and Grand Prairie, and my opening act Mr. Donovan Deschner, who's a good buddy of mine, and uh, that's awesome too because quite often in stand up you know you, you travel alone quite often and so you know you can go hours without ever speaking to anybody sometimes and uh, it was great to have those guys we had a lot of fun on the drives and and just. Just busting each other's balls, which is what you know dudes do, and, um, and and great to have them. And then of course Donovan, you know, was doing 25 minutes off the top each night as well. So I was kind of just condensing a lot of my stuff into an hour. So it, it allows for you to kind of come up with a little bit more energy in those things and maintain it. So I really appreciate that. And we had such a great time. And uh, longtime friend too, Lindsay McKernis, who I used to work with at Boys and Girls Club, was at the show in in Grand Prairie. And so I got to catch up with her. Happy birthday to her. Uh, it's her birthday today, so by the time you hear it's tomorrow, it will have been yesterday. So, um, and again, same thing, people coming out and supporting you after all these years, and some of these people were at your first ever show, or second show, second time ever on stage, which I think Lindsay may have been in, so, I mean, you know, 13, 14 years later, so it's, again, it's surreal, so, uh, thanks to everybody, so every single one of you who got tickets and shared the news, uh, about the shows and shared videos, I really, really appreciate it, and, um, uh, means a lot noted about it. what have I got coming up in the next little while I got my next shows are going to be in the US of A I'm going to be in Austin, Texas July 14th and 15th at a place called the Velveeta Room which is right on the strip in Austin, Texas they call it the Dirty Six I think it is where all the pubs and bars are and it's a cute little funky room the Velveeta Room and it's uh, run by 
uh, a buddy of mine married Giorgio, who's a hilarious comic in his own right, who's kind of walked away from the joke sling, if you will, and uh, is um, kind of calling the shots at that place for the last number of years. And so I'm going down there, back to Texas. I love Texas. I really enjoyed it. Got some friends down there, and I love doing stand-up down there. So I'm excited to get back there in mid-July. And then Canadian dates, I think my next one's going to be in Stephenville, Newfoundland, at the Arts and Culture Center, August 9th. I do believe tickets are on sale right now for that one. Um, opening the show that night, very talented young man. Uh, great musician, just a young guy. And uh, he's been crushing it back there in Newfoundland, just uh, pump, pumping out tunes and breaking hearts. Mr. Bailey Jordan Neal is going to be opening that show, doing some music off the top. And then we'll do a little break, and then it's going to be myself slaying foolishness for a while after that at Stephenville. So tickets are on sale now. I think you can go to the Arts and Culture uh, website, Stephenville Arts Culture Center website, and they will hook you up with some tickets. So I'm excited to get back there to Newfoundland. Always a blast to get back there. So uh, on social media earlier, I kind of teased this episode um, with um, with a little something about my grandmother. So for those of you who don't know, my grandmother, my grandparents raised me, and my grandmother, Rita Ezekiel, she passed away 20 years ago this week. And it's surreal to me to think about the fact that it's been two decades since she passed away because there's parts of me who feel like it was, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Like, you still... I don't know. When something is that traumatic, I think you, uh, you, I really believe, and I think I've kind of read as, as much that when you go through something very traumatic, there's a part of you who stays the age you were when that thing happened, you know? So I was 24, I think, when she passed away. And I think there's a part of me that kind of stayed there. Um, she wasn't ill, she wasn't sick, she was getting ready to go camping, uh, she did, she was 78 years old and she was still camping with uh, another close family of ours and she used to, family friends of ours and she was on the phone with this person and she, she had a heart attack and, and passed away suddenly and I, I, rem I remember I was getting ready to play a game the next day with Holy Cross uh, back in St. John's and we had our home opener I think the next day, I think we were playing Lawn if I'm correct, which was a a team from the Buren Peninsula and I remember I'm on the phone with a good friend of mine and I get a call on the other line and it's my cousin Lisa and she lets me know that my grandmother's passed away and you know I'm sure a lot of you out there listening unfortunately may have gone through the same thing where you get that phone call that just stops everything in its tracks it's like time stands still and you cannot process what you just heard um, there's a level of shock and pain that you cannot describe I don't think unless you've you've been through it to lose someone like that which was you know my mom in all intents and purposes I mean she raised me from the time I was really really young so it, it really is surreal and you know, I'd always pegged that moment to be the darkest moment of my life because my grandfather passed away when I was in grade 8. And then it was just kind of me and my grandmother and my aunt and my cousin Lisa. And we lived together. And it was, you know, not your typical home <laughs> in, in many regards, but it worked. And I always kind of envisioned what that day would be like when my grandmother passed away. And I always envisioned it and pictured it as being the darkest day of my life. And sadly, it it lived up to that prediction. And I remember um, I was living with Scott Murphy at the time, and, you know, we're driving back to Cornerbrook from St. John's, and you're doing this eight-hour drive just thinking about what things are going to be like when you arrive, and all the family are there, and you get there, and it's just so many different stages, you know, when you're, when you're going through something like that. It's the initial shock and then the pain, and you're meeting people, and you're overwhelmed with all the people that are coming and talking to you and people who you don't know who knew her are telling you their recollections of her which is kind of comforting in a way but painful at the same time and um, you, you go through a full range of emotions for sure and then of course there's you know you have to go through a wake you have to go through a funeral there's a burial it's just you have to go through her things afterwards it was um, 
it was a very difficult time. And it's one of those things that I think because this person's such a cornerstone in your life and they've always been there, you know, for as long as you've been on the planet, this person's been there in your life and now they're not there. There's a void left that you don't know how to fill. And I think as you get older, you realize that you don't really feel it at all. It's just something that you live with and accept that that's kind of just part of you right now. So it took me a number of years, I think, to learn that and to accept it and um, be able to move forward with it. I remember I went back to Corner Brook, um, went to the funeral, all those things. And uh, when I got back to St. John's a few weeks later, a good friend of mine, ironically the friend who I was on the phone with, uh, when the call came in, a friend of mine named Danny Martin, he goes, man, when you got that news, he goes, I thought we may have lost you. And I think he might have meant, like, in a physical sense, like, maybe I would move back to Cornerbrook and, you know, for, you know, whatever reasons, but also that maybe I wouldn't be the same anymore, that, you know, I was not as a pretty, you know, easygoing guy and joking and all those things, and I think he was worried that, this loss may have been too much for me to take, but, you know, as I said in the post, sometimes you dig into a level within yourself that you don't even know you have. I mean, you're you're literally on your knees and on your back, and, and uh, you don't know if you can get up, but you literally, one step at a time, you figure out a way to do it. And I guess the whole purpose of this for me and putting this out there was just that uh, I think what I was able to do at some point was to realize, okay, that is the darkest time of your life. It, it, it's not going to get any darker than that. And if you can get through this than anything else in your life going forward, won't be as difficult. It just won't be because you'll have, you'll have this experience always to hold on to. And if you can get through this and move forward, um, then you know life can just bring it, bring whatever you want. You know, it, it, what else can you give me? And I think there's a everyone out there in their life has an experience I think that you you may have envisioned as being this is the one that you might not recover from and if you can find a way to somehow convert that into something positive some forward moving energy that allows you to kind of go through so you know when people talk about stand up comedy and going on stage and I would never be able to do that I totally understand that but I think I was able to say well if I went through that and walking on stage and telling jokes in front of people is not that traumatic you know, it just seemed not as um, not as terrifying in comparison to what I'd already been through, if that makes any sense. So, in a lot of ways, not to get too spiritual on you, but I think it was it was my grandmother's final gift to me was kind of go because of this pain and the fact that you'll get through it. You're now going to be able to go on at some point in your life and walk on stage and perform and. I often think about her before showtime, and um, sometimes I feel like she's in the room in some way. I mean, you have these special nights where, you know, you, you have good nights as a performer, and some nights you have nights that aren't as good, but then you have other nights that are just kind of special, where an audience is just with you every single moment of the way, and those are those nights that comedians call killing. I, I don't like using the term killing very often in terms of, you know, because I think maybe it's used a little bit too liberally, and comedians throw it around all the time. But, I mean, there are those special nights where you're like, man, I don't even know if that was me up there tonight. Like, I don't even know what that was about. There was just, uh, there was something else in the room. And I think on those nights she's there and she's she's pulling the strings, you know, behind the scenes. So I kind of believe that a little bit. So that was my story. And it was kind of, um, I put it out there to social media. I did not know what the reaction would be. I didn't know if anyone was going to send in any emails um, that kind of wanted to give their story a little bit about a phone call or an event that, uh, changed their life and um, kind of steered their life in a, in a direction that ultimately ended up being a positive and and um, you know, so I didn't know what would happen when I, when I put that off right there and then excuse me people sent in some amazing amazing stories and I just want off the top I want to thank every single one of you who sent one in and I've picked a few to read and all of you just for your courage and your vulnerability and your bravery and for sharing it 
you know, with someone. So we're, we're not going to read any names when I read these, but I just want to thank you on, on, my, on behalf of myself just for sharing those. I mean, that's, um, that's a courageous thing to do, so I really, really do appreciate that. And I think in reading these, what I realized was that, man, we, we all have something. We all have a thing that you've gone through that um, was so painful and so traumatic, and um, it took your breath away. And you, you weren't sure how you were going to get through it, but you did. Um, and for some of us, it's tougher than others. And Lord knows there'll be more challenges around the corner. That's, that's life. You know, we, there's, you know, there's black ice around every corner. It's like you don't know when it's going to come. And um, that ability to kind of f go within yourself and find another gear uh, to go is 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 difficult to find sometimes and of course you rely on friends you rely on family um and but there's a part of you that you you have to go to that tells you that okay i'm going to find a way through this and i don't see it right now and what i realized with all these things especially things that are very painful and traumatic is that the way i've learned to approach it is that i don't as traumatic and as painful as they are that within them there is some some lesson and some gift and you you don't see it right now you're not supposed to see it right now um, it's going to be something that's going to be made clear to you a little bit later down the line. And I, I think that's the approach I've taken with things. And so I've even applied it to things, you know, since that time when things don't go my way is that, you know, there's the initial pain and shock and all those things and their normal feelings, but I, I can now compartmentalize it and go, okay, I don't see what the bigger picture is right now because I'm this in this moment, but I do trust that something else is coming and I just don't see it yet. This is a piece of the puzzle that, I just don't have all the other pieces yet. And so that's kind of how I approach it. And interesting thing about these emails is I think the people who wrote these um, these amazing emails, I think also look at it the same way. That, uh, you know, in the moment we don't see it. And uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. But but later on uh, you kind of start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And, uh, and it's a pretty amazing thing. So... I'm going to read the first email, and again, I'm, uh, none of the uh, names are going to be included in this, and, and I want to thank, again, folks, for their, uh, for their bravery and vulnerability. Um, and I, I wrote this on a post when I mentioned this whole um, idea for this week was, uh, you know, I think vulnerability is the new tough, you know, when you can let down your armor and your guard and um, really be honest with yourself in terms of where your situation is that I think that is the new tough. I think macho and bravado and all that stuff is just, it's not authentic, it's fake. It's just a product of um, insecurity at the end of the day. But for people who can really bear their soul in some way, shape, or form, to me, it is, that, is the new, that is the new tough. That is the new resilience, you know? So um, hats off to all you who, uh, who sent the emails in. And uh, so here goes. Here's the first one. So it starts, hey... In response to your ask, my phone call that changed my life. My sister was going through a separation after a lengthy relationship and marriage, some children and years of emotional abuse and isolation from family. She confided in me that they were separated three months before telling anyone else in our family. Those were three hard months to bear. While recovering from years of being manipulated and downtrodden, there were a lot of low points and low self-esteem, grief and guilt, and self-blame for her. We chatted daily. However, the one day that she called and said she thought about ending the pain, the guilt, and the fighting, including telling me where she planned to drive the car off to do the deed, that was the day that changed my life. I was someone who had moved away from home the second I was able, fancied myself worldly, and wanted to go places and do things. But that moment on that phone call shook me to the very core. She asked me not to get on a plane that second because it may get worse before it gets better. But at that moment, it was all clear to me. You may go far, both literally and figuratively, but you never forget where you came from and who built you up. Family is everything. And you don't know how strong you are until you are tested. I learned I'm an angry mama bear from that day on. If you threaten my pack, you will not fare well. No, I did not commit any crimes of defense but I have committed to building up her emotional defenses, her confidence, and her strength so that no one will ever make her feel that way again. Most importantly, never ever take anything for granted. 
I have been humbled by knowing that even though I may have moved far away from home and been successful and made a life for myself, there's no shame, no weakness in having family be your number one in life. In that moment, I wanted my sister around with a death that was unparalleled by any other want before or after. Hopefully, most of your listeners don't need to be tested to figure it out. But once you are, you never forget the lesson. Thanks for reading, Trent. Uh, what an awesome email that is. And how many folks out there can relate to that, right? Like, you just... We get bogged down in our own lives and you kind of put on the blinders and you're just kind of blasting away at your own life and trying to accomplish your goals and you worry about work and maybe your own, you know, you start your own family, whatever you do. And quite often you, you, you kind of not aware of what's going on in your own, you know, your own direct family. You're not quite kind of seeing it, you know, because we're also focused on doing our own thing. And... I've, I've often struggled with that myself. You know, you, so much travel and this career is crazy. Things again change in a second. And and uh, sometimes you have to stop and pause and look around and, and go, man, it's not all about me. It's like, am I, what kind of family member am I being? What kind of husband am I being? What kind of friend am I being? And uh, you sometimes have to check yourself and kind of reboot and refocus. And I heard a great saying once too that says that all suffering comes from thinking about yourself. And the minute you start thinking about other people, your own suffering goes away. And I think there's a big truth to that. You know, we're also we're also centered on ourselves and our own goals and things we're trying to accomplish. And then, but we can look around and say, you know, can I help somebody else? Can I be kind to somebody else? Can I do a little extra today to help someone else? It's amazing how your life improves in some way. So you're kind of pushing it outward, but it, it kind of helps you inward. Um, and uh, that's kind of the cool thing about it. But for this person to kind of get refocused in that regard and ask themselves, like, what are my priorities? Where am I? Where am I putting my time and my energy? And and uh, realizing that uh, maybe you know they kind of lost their way a little bit. And I think that happens to everybody. And I don't know if it's something that you know you just do once and you okay, that's it. You're set on your path. I think we all have to kind of recalibrate from time to time, you know, um, because life changes and you change as a person and people around you are always changing so you're constantly trying to recalibrate and find where it is you know everyone out there I'm sure right now has got a person that they know they were supposed to call back or send an email to or whatever but you haven't done it for some reason and why haven't you done it and you know I've done the same it's 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 so weird and you know I often think that I go you know these people that I care about and uh, and sometimes I, I just don't reach out to from time to time I think what if I got a phone call or found out that something happened to them you know like how bad would I feel and um, so sometimes that will be the the thought that will be the trigger for me to actually you know pick up a phone or send an email or reach out to somebody so um, yeah thank you for that email that was uh, that was a great story because I I think it's true and I think it's something that a lot of us do from in our daily lives and, it's, and it's, there's no malice in it you know we're all kind of so driven and trying to chase our own goals and see the world and do all these things and sometimes we forget about the people that are probably uh the most important to us and um i think we can probably all see a little bit of ourselves in that one so thanks for that this is another one and um uh, i'll just yeah i'll just read it it's um a few days before my 16th birthday my 11 year old brother who i shared a december 16th birthday with died tragically not far from our home in a little rural community in Newfoundland. No doctor, no ambulance, no one but good-hearted neighbors to help was what we had to rely on. After waiting for an eternity and still no ambulance or doctor, he was bundled up and off they went. He died en route to the hospital. This changed my life forever. Because of this, I became a nurse, an outpost nurse. I wanted to work where people needed the help and had little available. Hospitals, then communities in Labrador, then on the southeastern Avalon Peninsula where I grew up, where my brother died. I never looked back. I don't know what I would have become had I not lost my brother. He has watched over me. Um, <laughs> keep putting smile on faces. I saw a few today who needed you. Oh, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I cannot... Um, you know, I never had a brother 
uh, or sister per se, so I can't even comment on what that must be like. And especially, um, you know, this person was a young girl themselves and, and uh, to lose a brother like that, I don't know what that void in your life would be like. I can't even really wrap my head around it. But I think for her to take that situation and as traumatic and painful as that was and to think, well, I'm going to try and find a way to take this as a motivation to move my own life forward and find a direction and a path for myself is a pretty powerful and incredible thing. Because I think we often see the opposite too, where something traumatic happens and people hold on to that for the rest of their lives and they become bitter and shut down and don't evolve anymore and don't grow and their life is not all that it can be because they're kind of stuck in that moment and there's an anger that you never kind of let go of and it's super hard and we have all gone through it in some capacity but you have to find a way to convert that you have to find a way to convert that into something that's going to be positive and going to move you forward and I know it sounds cliche I know it's like you know is this just a bunch of whole mumbo jumbo about you know energy and whatever else but I really I've seen the opposite I've seen people hold on to negative stuff for decades and decades and decades and it will ruin your life and um, there is a certain gear that people have I, I really believe everyone has it some people can access it easier than others but I do believe there's a gear everyone has that you can convert things you can take the most traumatic and painful things and, and and spin them into something that moves you in the right direction in your life and gives your life purpose, if you will. I, I think for me, stand-up comedy became something that... Someone asked me about this on the weekend, and I think... I feel like I use comedy as a, as a sense of control because being, you know, a black kid in a white town, you get used to being the center of attention, whether you, need, you want it or not. You just... You're going to be that center of attention. So I think being humorous allowed me to at least take control if you're going to look at me then at least I'm going to let you look at me and stare at me on my terms and then now people are laughing that gave me a sense of um, control and gave me a sense of um, acceptance I think in a lot of ways so you know then you know my grandmother passing away it's like at some point in my life that that was something I convert into moving my two feet onto a comedy stage for the first time like a real legitimate comedy stage to go from making friends laugh to now trying to make strangers laugh. And there is that converter. I don't know what you call it, but it's something that at some point, whether it's time or something goes off in your brain, whatever it is, but you allow yourself to convert pain into progress. And um, that's a powerful, powerful moment. There's a letting go of certain things and a real momentum and push forward. And you go with that energy forward. And... Uh, you also feel a little bit bulletproof. You feel like, again, I've been through the shit, so bring it. I've been through the fire, so what do you got? What's coming next, you know? And, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of you out there have, uh, have had that situation yourself, and uh, I hope you've been able to convert it. I hope you've been able to, to change pain into progress, because it's, uh, it's, it is, it's, it's a powerful thing, and, uh, and you, and you do feel like, all right, okay, I came at the other end, let's go, what do you got? Um, here we go, thanks for that email too, that was, uh, again, thanks for sharing that, these are, I'm sure for you guys to write, they probably weren't the easiest things to do, and probably brought up a lot of, uh, a lot of emotions and memories, so uh, again, thank you for your, for your vulnerability, I really appreciate it. Here's the uh, third email. December 16th, 2008, I got the call that the man who had sexually abused me from the ages of 10 to 12 was finally captured by police. I first filed my police report and laid charges against him in August 2006, and he was compliant at first with the police and his lawyers in his small town of Alberta. But in 2007, he stopped contacting his lawyer and went off in 2008 when they charged him the warrant for his arrest from a Newfoundland one to a Canada-wide warrant. He was found in Drumheller area and then sent back to Cornerbrook to await his trial. Knowing he was finally in handcuffs and locked up until his trial in January, it gave me such a sense of peace and I hadn't had in many years. 
He ended up being sentenced to 30 months, but only served 20 in total. Even though he is now out of prison, I still feel more at peace knowing I've done what I had to do. He is on the registered sex offender registry for life, and that is what gives me the most comfort. Hopefully he'll never hurt anyone else as long as he lives. That day changed my life because it was all over the news and in the papers back home in Newfoundland, so I had to come out with my story to a lot of my family and friends who hadn't known. Since the day I have healed so much and now encourage others to come forward with their sexual abuse as it is the only way to heal. I've started a Facebook support group for fellow survivors and allies as well. It's given me immense joy to see others finally be brave with telling their stories too. Wow. Man. Powerful. Crazy. Powerful stuff. Thank you so much for that email. You know... One of the things that I take away from that one is there's every reason for that person when you, when they describe their experience, there's every reason for them to be bitter and angry and resentful. Um, the abuse for one would have been enough for someone to not be able to move forward and then to find basically a slap on the wrist from the criminal justice system would be the second kind of strike in that regard. And again, for you to find that gear where you can convert that into progress and to be completely vulnerable, not only to just for yourself, but then to go on to find a way to help others. I mean, that's, that is a true testament to the human spirit that that is, that is a brilliant attitude. Like, I will not be denied. I'm going to have a great life. I'm going to have a purpose. And I'm going to go forward. And you see it all the time. You know, I've seen it with friends, family, people, stories I've read, people I've met in life about setbacks that they've had. And they get, they're stuck in that setback for the rest of their life. They're there's an inability to to come to terms with it and um, you know you can talk about being emotionally stuck in an area but there's times where some of us are more emotionally stuck in that area and now everything in the rest from that day forward the rest of their life everything goes through that lens of that experience and the ability to be able to let go and the ability to go okay that was a thing I processed it um, it's going to be a thing I carry around for the rest of my life in some capacity, but it's not going to be the thing that defines me. It's not going to be the thing that steers the car the rest of my life. It's just not going to be. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of digging, I think, within yourself. Um, it, there's a little bit of forgiveness, I think, too, of, of others, and also forgiveness of yourself, which I think we're really... Um, really we neglect to do quite often I think we're a little reluctant to do uh, with ourselves we kind of run our own backstory about you know who we are as a person and, and we're this for the rest of our lives and it's like it doesn't have to be that way you can you can rewrite the next chapter you can you can go forward and and, and be who you want to become but we don't we're shaped by our past experiences and sometimes it's it's hard to to move forward in that and like I said, in this situation, this person has every, you could, you could see every, every reason why this person could be bitter and, and unable to move forward. And you probably, you probably wouldn't, you, you'd probably understand. You'd be like, yeah, I, I, maybe too, if that was me. So, um, incredible. That's an, that's an incredible story because you're able to, first of all, you're able to share it and be the fact that you're able to take it in and convert it into not only helping yourself, but helping other people. That's just helping, you know, being able to move yourself forward would have been fascinating enough, but to be able to, to reach out there and give others a form in which to do the same thing um, is a pretty incredible thing. So hats off to you for doing that. Um, I realize that too, and, and no matter what your situation is, whether it's, it's a, a highly traumatic thing or if you're going through a small failure in your life in general, your ability to dust yourself off and get up and move forward will be the difference between you being happy or unhappy in your life. 
I think we're a little naive sometimes to think that we're going to stroll through life without any failure, without any heartbreak, without any devastation. That's coming for all of us at some point. And so it's going to be your pushback is what's going to make the difference. You know, I know with athletes, quite often people think they have a pampered life. Um, you know, they make millions of dollars playing a sport. But failure is just around the corner for them all the time. You know, there's injuries to come back from. There's being cut from teams. There's a guy who's towards the end of his career, but he wants to find another contract and keep playing. There's eventually retirement. Now what do you do? What's that transition like? Like, there are obstacles all the time, no matter who, who somebody is. It's their level, their life is always going to present some situation where there's failure, there's disappointment. People go through medical situations that are beyond their control. And how do you process that, you know? You have friends that are, you know, family members who are going through cancer battles. It's like, how do you find that gear to stay positive and to um, keep your attitude in a, in a I guess in line with just with just fighting and going forward, it's not easy, you know? And I think a lot of times you just have to forgive yourself. You're allowed to have shit days. Everyone has them. I have them. Uh, everyone has them. If there's days where you don't feel great and uh, you got those glasses on where you're looking through a lens and going, you yeah, know, life's not that great right now. But it's how quickly can you shake that off and uh, start to appreciate the small things in life. And I've talked about it before, I think, in the podcast, just about gratitude and, and rewiring your mind sometimes to just appreciate the small things, you know. For me, uh, you know, doing stand-up, I was able to have those moments this past weekend where I thought, man, how awesome is it that I get to go make people laugh and travel around the country. I'm with, you know, two good friends going to these shows. The weather's beautiful. We're driving. We're laughing. We're meeting fantastic people after shows and they're telling us their um their experience and uh it's just uh you know all those are amazingly positive things and then small things like you drove somewhere you got there safely uh you had a meal there's people in the world who don't have food you had a glass of water there's people in the world who don't have clean drinking water like these are all small things that you take for granted every single day and there's people who would who would move heaven and earth to have what you have? But sometimes we just we just take it for granted. It's just uh, it's just because it's there every single day. We don't even appreciate it anymore, you know. So, uh, you know, living in Canada, you know, in a place that there's not you know civil war and bombs being dropped on your head. I mean, those are things to be grateful for every single day. But again, you can take it for granted. So I think sometimes you have when you're going through a tough time, especially. It's kind of rebooting and going back to just those small, basic, everyday things. Can you recenter and appreciate those small things? The fact you can get up in the morning and you can see and you can breathe and you can taste food and you have people around you who care for you. Those small things, if you can just rewire your brain and mind to appreciate those things, uh, it's amazing how that shapes your thinking for the rest of the day. And now you look at everything through those lenses as opposed to looking through the lenses of pain and trauma or what you don't have you know oh, i don't make this much money or i wish i had that car or i wish i had that life it's like that oh you're going to appreciate where you are right here right now small things and it's amazing then how things can kind of can kind of turn around for people but i think gratitude it's amazing the energy energy and strength in gratitude um I find you know especially in stand-up comedy and entertainment you know you can always look over that fence and wish you had something else or you had someone else's career or opportunities. But I stopped doing that a bunch of years ago and I really just focused on my lane and appreciating that there are people out there who are interested in what I do and there are people who travel a long way to just come to a show and they tell me incredible stories about the first time they saw my material or that they drove two hours to get tickets and they brought their mom or they brought their friends and I'm learning about them. I'm like, those are things to be grateful for. Like, that's... I don't even know if I... I just, I don't think I even deserve that. But I'll take it, you know? And so, just being able to rewire and do those things is... Um, and get your head around gratitude and just small things is amazing how that changes your mindset. And, and, and it energizes you. It's incredible. Like, I would recommend it to everybody. If you can start your day... Every day, this is how I start my day. I try to start by thinking about three things I'm grateful for. Big, small, whatever. Could be a hot cup of coffee. Could be a warm bed. Could be... Uh, I had a great conversation with a friend last night. I 
Um, I drove to a place and I got there safely. Like these are small things, uh, and when I do them, it's amazing how my mind is rewired and how I, I tend to look at things positively the rest of the day. Um, until I get stuck in traffic and then I lose my shit. No, I'm joking. Okay, um, we've got one more here. This is a bit of a longer one, and uh, I want to thank this person too as well for for their email and for their vulnerability. Um, all right, here we go. There are moments that split your life in two. The life you led before this moment and the life after this moment affected you. Mine came at the end of June 1989. I had just taken my last final of grade nine and had come home to pack for my trip to Peru when the phone rang. I picked it up and it was my uncle calling from Peru and I knew. To give you some background, I was an unplanned 1972 New Year's Eve conception. My mother was a rebellious hippie from the 60s and my dad was a young guy from Peru that immigrated to Canada for a better education and a better future. They did not stay together after I was born and so my mother was left alone to raise my older sister and I. That is until she met him. He was a draft dodger from the States and a criminal. He impregnated my mother with my younger brother. My mother and this man would leave my sister and I alone for hours at a time in our soiled diapers while they went horseback riding, used drugs, alcohol, and parties. I even heard that they had joined some sort of cult. One day, their neighbor saw me with a black eye and bite marks all over my body, so she called police. The police attended and told my mother that she needed to leave this guy or child welfare would have to apprehend us. My mother did the right thing by signing guardianship of my sister to our maternal grandmother. She then called my father and asked him to come get me. My father was still young and finishing school, so he called his mother in Peru and after she asked if she would come, could raise me, to which she agreed. So I spent my early childhood growing up in Peru with my grandma. She made me feel like I was the most important person in the world to her. She was a school principal, and so she taught me to study hard. She instilled in me great values, which helped me make me who I am today. She sacrificed so much for me, and she had already raised four children, and now she was doing it again. She had left an abusive relationship, and we lived in a comfortable middle-class home. She put my needs ahead of her own and treated me as if I was her own child. Currently, I work as a child protection worker, and I see this so often. Parents that, for whatever reason, are not able to raise their children, and so they turn to their parents for help. There are many, many grandparents out there that are heroes who have saved so many children by sacrificing their own freedom by doing it all over again. Then, one day, she became ill. She contracted some virus and was no longer able to look after me, so she called my father in Canada and asked him to come get me. I was 10 years old and I was whisked away from my family and culture that I knew so well to a frozen land where water became ice on the streets. My father eventually married his childhood sweetheart from Peru, and her and her two sons joined us in Canada. So I stood there frozen in time, and my uncle called me back to this cruel new reality. He said that I had to find my father and tell him that his mother had died. After I hung up the phone, I picked up a chair and threw it, and it broke. Thankfully, I was able to fix it. I was mad at God. I could not understand why he would take my grandmother away three days before I would have seen her. She had just been healthy enough. I called my dad and he booked a flight to Peru along with me. At the funeral, I stayed by her open casket as long as I could. Some people thought I was being weird, but I was saying goodbye. I pinned a pin on her dress that I had received for good grades. I told her all about how well I was doing and that I had turned out all right. I thanked her for saving my life and for having taken care of me all those years. A few years later, I would return to her grave with my degree in social work. I showed it to her and I asked her the one question that we all long to have answered by those we love and respect the most. Are you proud of me? A month before that fateful phone call, I received a letter from my grandmother reminding me that she had raised me and that she loved me very much and would like to hear from me more often. I had a feeling deep in my soul that I should write back right away and thank her and say that I loved her.
but I was going to see her in a month, and I could do it face to face, and I would probably get there before the letter would. Now, I wish I had written that letter, because I never got the chance to thank the woman that so profoundly impacted my life. Her final lesson to me was that if you have something nice to say, you better say it. You never know when it's someone's last day or when it's your last day. Tell those that have impacted and affected your life in a positive way how much they mean to you and why. Don't miss out on that opportunity. As the Foo Fighters sing, one of these days, your heart will beat its final beat. So that was the worst day of my life until my abusive father kicked me out. But that's another story. Thank you so much for that. Man, um, I think this kind of speaks too to what I mentioned earlier, you know, the trauma and pain that you feel in those moments when you go through that initially, you don't see you don't see the full picture. You just don't. And you won't know for years down the road. Um, the ability then for this person to um, suffer that pain, the instability of moving, going back and forth. And I think too, for people who, um, you know, when you're not with your biological parents, there's a hole there to start. Because you don't know why your life is different than other people's lives. You don't know why you can't just have a traditional upbringing like everybody else. So right off the bat, you're, you feel minus one. You feel like, why is mine got to be different? And then the instability of moving around. And so you can imagine the potential attachment issues that that could create. Where now you, you're not really trusting of anybody. And now you, you're just waiting for things to fall apart. Because history has proven to you that people go away. People... Uh, don't stick around and things change quickly, you know, and for this person to experience all that at such a young age and such an impressionable age and then to be able to get their head around the fact that they want to study, they want to get an education, they want to have a career and not only a career, but a career where they in turn get to work with families and kids and help families and children and the irony in all that is due to the trauma that they went through as a kid. They're now able to take that and convert it and now help people who are in a similar situation. And that ultimately is a gift, but you don't see it in the moment. There's no way you would see it. When my grandmother passed away, of course, there's no way I saw it as a gift. Um, you know, I would do anything to have her still here today, obviously, but... That was out of my hands. And so what's left is just this this other gift, this uh, plan B, if you will, which is kind of a map for the rest of your life, which is kind of a purpose for the rest of your life. And that's the kind of way I approached it. And it seems to me that every one of these, of the people that I, of these stories that I read, that these people have done the same thing, is that you've taken this thing and found a way for it to give you purpose in your life and direction in your life and it's so it's so interesting I think because we often look for the positive things and, and the things that we're great at in life but quite often you know there's way more data and information to be found in the rubble you know when you go through the pain of your life when you go through the tough times of your life that's where the data is you know, you learn, you learn from pain, you learn from failure. Um, a lot of people believe you don't really learn from success. It's kind of just, well, you continue what you're doing. But when you have pain and trauma and failure, you're forced to recalibrate. You're forced to change. You're forced to rewire how you think. You're forced to maybe change where you live or change how you live. Um, that's just kind of forced upon you in order to survive, in order to move forward. And every single person in these emails has done just that. And, um, and it takes, it takes so many things. Um, it takes vulnerability. It takes bravery. It takes, 
um, an ability to trust, to trust others, to trust yourself, which sometimes is really difficult depending on what your, your experience has been and what your childhood has been like. And, and ultimately, I think too what all these people did, which is a common thread through all of them, is that they ultimately ended up thinking about other people. So rather than focusing on their own trauma, they were able to get to a point where they could, they could take this, convert it, and now it's like, how do I help other people? How do I, how do I make someone else's day a little better, you know? And, you know, as a comedian, I know you get up there and you tell jokes and you're talking about dolphins and talking about whatever, but I really, a number of years ago, um, I really got recentered with stand-up where I really kind of got back to why I started in the first place. When you first do stand-up, it's such an adrenaline rush. It can be very, very ego-driven. Everyone's standing and or sitting and looking at you. You're in lights on an elevated stage. You get to talk. No one else gets to talk. It's, you know, I think Steve Martin described it in his book, uh, um, Born Standing Up. He described stand-up as the ego's last stand. And I think it is. You think it's, it's all about you. And then you stay and stand up, you know, you're in it for a while. You can get caught up in the business and there's festivals you got and didn't get. And there's, you know, things that you wanted and you didn't receive. And you can get really bitter if you let that sneak in. And I think that's probably anyone in life, you know, you can feel beat down after a while because things aren't working out the way you wanted them to. But I had to have a moment where I kind of um, thought about why am I doing this? Why? Am I a stand-up comedian? Why do I do this? And I had to get back to the very first time that I ever went on stage and that feeling that I had. And that feeling was, I am making other people happy. And that was an incredible feeling. To have everyone laugh in that moment, there's probably no purer sense of happiness really than laughter. That's, that's um, unfiltered, that's raw, that's like, in the moment, bam, we're all happy in this moment. And it felt really, really good. And I had to remind myself, of like, that's why you started. Getting a festival, being on television, making X amount of dollars, traveling, staying in nice hotels, that's ultimately not why you started. You, you were hooked in that feeling of making other people feel good. And when... I find like I may lose my way a little bit, that recenters me. It's like that is why. And I always find I get it. Sometimes I'm reminded by other people who may send me an email about how they're, they were going through a rough time and they came out to a show and they really, really enjoyed it. It was the first laugh they had in a long time because they went through something that was really painful. And I go, yeah, I needed to read that. That's why, that's why I'm doing this, you know? And so I think for everybody out there, I mean, if you can find something that, a passion that you have that in some way, shape, or form helps somebody else in some way, man, you're crushing it. That's it. You, you made it. You, you know, you did it. And whether that's you cook or you public speak or you do keynotes or you're just a great listener or whatever it is you bring and that you're passionate about doing, if that in some way, shape, or form helps somebody else, man, that's, that's it. You're at the top of the mountain. It doesn't get any better than that. Money's going to come and go. Opportunity's going to come and go. But if you can keep that as your true north, it's like you're going to be happy every single day. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about this term fulfillment, which is that greater sense of kind of purpose and feeling like you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I think that's what it's about. I think ultimately if you're doing something that is helping other people and making other people feel good, then I think that's where fulfillment is. So ultimately it's not always about you. It's about how you can help other people in some way. And and that can look a million different ways. You know, it really, really can. And, uh, you know, I think if your passion solves someone else's problem, then you're on the right track. You know, I feel like my job solves somebody's problem of needing laughter in their life. That's what I feel like my purpose is. And uh, for other people whatever it is their passion is, and if they're, they're doing it for a living, it means they're solving someone else's problem out there. If you're a cook, you're solving someone's problem about food. And they like your food in particular, so you're solving that problem for them. You know, if you're a chiropractor and you love doing that, there's people out there who need 
who need um, that type of healthcare and you're solving that problem for them, that pain problem for them. And I think that's where fulfillment comes from. You know, and again, money, opportunity, awards, all that stuff is quite often under your control. But doing what you love to do and being able to take everything in your life to that point and focusing it in a way that you convert it into something that that can be helpful to other people, that's it. That's I think that ultimately is the key to happiness. You can do that and be grateful at the same time you got quite the cocktail for uh, fulfillment, fulfillment and happiness in general, I do believe. So, yeah, this episode was uh, no guests this week. The emails were my guests. Uh, again, I want to thank every single one of you for, for sending those to me. I know it must have taken a lot to type those up and then to hit the send button. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, for those of you that are listening, I hope these were beneficial for you. And then if you're going through your struggles or you've gone through it in the past and you're having a hard time dealing with it, I hope you're able to convert it in some way, shape, or form into progress for yourself. Uh, I know you can do that. and may need, You may need some help to talk to someone about that. But I think, I think every single person has that within them. I really do believe that. It's just a gear you haven't found yet, but it's in there. And you can do it. So I hope it was helpful to you guys. And, um, yeah, I just, I did this cause I wanted to kind of honor my, my, uh, my grandmother's memory and kind of how that impacted me. And, uh, she was a woman who loved to laugh and have a great time. And I think she really enjoyed every single moment of her life. And I think that was also a lesson that I took with me, um, is that you better appreciate every single breath and every single moment. And, uh, don't complain, be happy for what you have. There are those out there who would switch with you in a moment in a heartbeat to have what you have. And uh, sometimes you just forget that. So she lived every single day like that. So uh, I take that memory with me too. And that kind of guides me quite often. Um, thanks so much for listening to this special episode. Uh, next week we return to the traditional version of the Generators Podcast where uh, I'll have a guest and uh, we'll talk shop. Thanks so much, everybody who's been listening. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, you guys are amazing, and you've been sharing it as well. And getting, I've been getting your feedback and emails and stuff. And uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope you have an awesome week. And uh, we'll see you again next Monday. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That's how it all started. Like a whisper in your ear. You told them you loved them. As fast as you could It's not to be taken lightly Then you never were Your fingers bleeding Your body aches From the thunder in your heart So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk marked like a good little soldier Knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you live and chalk mark like a good little soldier knew just what you were Can you run?